Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases. The content may be triggering or inappropriate for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Amber. And this week, Amber is bringing us a two-parter. And we promise we won't always do this. This is our last one for a little bit. For a little bit. while, yeah, yeah. Until I read another book. And I, I just, I make no guarantees. Actually, <laughs> my next case, I am reading a book. But I'm going to, I'm going to be good and just no do one, a long episode. No one's complained yet, though. No. I'm just saying. We appreciate that. And this week, for your two-parter, we do have a theme for it called... A peek behind the filter, right? We do. That's we what, do. What your, uh, give us a little insight to your case here. Yeah, this is definitely a case that involves things not being what they seem. You know, what was portrayed to social media, portrayed huh. to the public. Are you insinuating that what people put on social media is not true? I know. Isn't that a shocker? Are you serious? I, I am so serious. Everyone does not have long eyelashes and flawless skin with that twinkle in their eye and a perky bosom this is a good yeah exactly not all bosoms are perky oh okay Um, (laughs) everyone on my facebook page looks wonderful no i think this honestly it is it's a teaching moment for for everyone um those pictures we see they're not real life and not Mm -hmm. saying that people don't have good moments that they share because i love seeing photos from my friends me too um, you know, there's struggles behind everybody's images and absolutely even like when we bake a, a cake or something like that, it looks gorgeous at the end. You don't see the sugar flying everywhere. You do not see the powdered sugar all over Charnel's kitchen. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like that. So yes. if um, you guys don't know what we're talking about, um, Amber and I have another business adventure called shirts and sugar. We have a private Facebook group. You're welcome to join. Yes. We, we literally sell shirts and, and sugary treats. <laughs> right. It's fun. We Check it out. be more obvious with our name, Shirts and Sugar. Right. That's what Literal. it is. Yeah, yeah. So y'all are welcome to take a peek at that if you want to. Yeah. So Free, free plug. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I, I mean, it's our it's podcast, our so we show. can do yeah, it. We can. <laughs> we don't have ads yet, so we're just advertising for ourselves. I know. And it's really just a lack of time to record the ads, really. So hopefully all of our, our listeners have enjoyed ad-free listening. I'm sure this, they have. This whole time, so... Maybe someday we'll have time, but yeah. All right. Back to the morbid things. Back to this case. So I'm just going to put it out there. It's going to tug at your heartstrings. There's no way around it. Yeah. It's a sad case. Okay. Um, This is the Hart family tragedy. Um, It's also known as the Hart family massacre. Oh, fuck. So it's, we've got some kids involved. It's a really, really. Okay. Just tragic incident. I guess It's very unfortunate. Um. This was actually, it's a murder-suicide that took place, mm. and it wasn't that long ago. It was in March of 2018. I don't so know why I don't know this case. Ago. You know, I was surprised, too, because I also did not know of it until I saw something pop in. Obviously, I've got a lot of true crime things that pop into my yeah. feed, and there was an investigation discovery little blurb about it, and I was like, 
oh my gosh, that sounds horrible. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, it sounds terrible. Better Let me read out. more. <laughs> yeah, it was one, you know, sometimes they just pull you in. You're like, okay, I need to know more about this. And yeah. so that's, that's how I found it. So I'm going to start by telling you about the parents involved in this case. They are the adoptive parents for the children that we'll be talking about. All right. Their names are Jennifer and Sarah Hart. So Jennifer Jean Hart was born on June 3rd, 1979. And Sarah Margaret Hart was born on April 8th of 1979. And they are both from South Dakota. So Jennifer, she originated from Huron. And Sarah was from either Big Stone City or possibly Ortonville, Minnesota. Oh. um, Originally. Okay. Where where they were born. And I guess Ortonville is close to Big Stone City. So there's some uncertainty as Mm -hmm. to which one it was. Both women were the eldest of their families, and Jennifer had two siblings, and Sarah had three siblings. Jennifer attended Huron High School, and Sarah attended school in Minnesota. The two women, they met when they attended Northern State University, and this is where they began their relationship together. Okay. So both women majored in elementary education. With Sarah, her focus was special education. Um, after Sarah graduated in 2002, Jennifer left the university. She didn't actually finish graduating. I think she just kind of left with Sarah after she had finished. Oh. So in 2005, Sarah asked the local court to have her last name altered so they could get married. Um, this was a time when marriage wasn't, same-sex marriage wasn't legal in all states. Yeah, um, so gross. But they did... Go to, I mean, it's gross that we dictate who people right, can right. marry. I'm yep. sorry. Don't think that I thought that same-sex <laughs> marriage I think by now gross. people know. Oh, I hope so. Gosh. Our, our listeners know where we yeah. stand. But I just, yeah. it still baffles me that... The, and it wasn't that long ago. Like, I know. No. You know, 10 I, years ago. I vividly ago. remember 2005. It's a blur, but <laughs> I remember bits and pieces. I was spitting out a child, so I remember it all too well. <laughs> But, so they actually had to go to Connecticut to get married, yeah. um, and that happened in 2009. Okay. And on Facebook, Jennifer stated that the women were originally pretty closeted about their relationship because it sounds like family and friends weren't very accepting of it. Aww. And so when they did fully come out, they did lose some friends. Okay, then they weren't really friends. So, I agree. Yeah, they lost yeah. some some baggage in their life. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yep. So, you know, after all of that happened, I think it left kind of a bad taste in their mouth and they ended up moving to Alexandria, Minnesota in 2004. Sounds beautiful. Now, this is, they both got jobs there. They worked at the same location um, and that's when they started to become more open about their relationship. So I don't know if just being away from those family and friends that didn't accept them made it easier, but sure. they started to very openly share that they were together. So after being together a couple years, the two of them started thinking about adopting children or fostering children. They moved around a little bit. They had moved to Oregon for a brief time, and then they ended up moving to a remote area of Woodland, Washington. It sounds remote. Its name is Woodland. It's very, yes, it's (laughs) Woodland. It's literally like in the woods. They moved to the Woodlands. (laughs) 
Um, and so this is Woodland is actually where they are. They end up living at the time that the murders take place. Okay. So that's kind of where where, where they this end cl- up. Case happens. Yes. Okay. Yeah. But there is a lot of moving around in this in this case. Um, like I said, the Hearts they decided they wanted to foster and adopt children. They end up, and I'm going to tell you the backstory about it. But they end up adopting a total of six children. Oh together. wow! Yes. Now, when you see, you know, we kind of talked about this. When you see photos of the family, you're going to see, like, the most picture-perfect life you can imagine. Mm -hmm. Like, the kids are smiling. The colors are bright. They're doing all of this fun stuff. I mean, it looks like they just had the best life with the, you know, the two of them as their parents. And these kids are, you know, doing all of these fun, healthy activities. And yes. So just know if you see a picture of my entire family together, someone is probably poking someone else right in the ass crack during the photo <laughs> behind the scenes just to irritate them. Right. You know? Things are not what they seem. No, no. But I will obviously post some pictures of the family so you can kind of see what I'm talking about because mm-hmm. it's a big part of this case is that they were very, especially Jennifer Hart, was very big on those social media posts. Okay. So it probably really took people by surprise. Yes. When it happened. Big time. Yeah. Big time. I mean, not that you're going to post your ugly. I, I don't know. I do see some people that I'm like, ooh, cringy. Probably not for social media. Right. But I mean, that's really not why the platform was created. Right. To be like, here's the ugly parts of our relationship or or parenting. Which, or, I know. mean, I do follow those people as well. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're going to share the details of, of your breakup, you need to share all of it. For sure. Like, Don't just give us a little bit because I'm here with my popcorn. Yeah. You can't leave us hanging. Right. No, I know. I currently have a couple that I'm following that I am invested. <laughs> like, all right, what is happening now? Yes. Yes. Please am, let me know. I, I'm completely invested and want to see how this is going to shake down. <laughs> No, no. So like I said, that's a big part of this case is that social media presence was very uh, picture perfect. It was beautiful. And it was, I will tell you like the, you know, she was very good at taking pictures. You know, I appreciate myself some pictures and Mm -hmm. some, you know, proper placement of things and cropping and color coordination. We had it all. Yeah. We had it all going on. So anyway, um, like I said, we're going to get into what was behind the scenes, but that is, I think, what shocked everyone is to find that out. Yeah, definitely. So the Hearts were foster parents. Before they adopted the six children, this did make me upset to learn that they were actually foster parents to a 15-year-old girl first. So it was a, a short period of time, and it sounds like the couple did not love having this 15-year-old in their home. They did openly complain about the the child to close friends and, and possibly family. Um, and it doesn't sound like the placement was going well. Okay. So the hearts, they did, this is how they ended up handling the situation. They were looking into adopting the other younger children that we're going to talk about. And so they told the girl like, Oh, you're going to get to be a big sister and you know, you can be the role model to these kids. And, Long story short, that the placement wasn't going well, and so they decided to make changes. But the problem with that is didn't tell her about it. So they ended up, like, basically taking her to see a counselor and leaving her there. What? And not coming back. 
No. Yes. This was about a week before the other children arrived. So. Oh. Right? Yeah. I'm not a fan. And so this is kind of just painting the Uh -uh. picture of like, you know, we're adoption focused. We're, you know, these loving parents. But this is kind of the the, some of the stuff that they had started Um. to, you know, that they were doing. Yeah, no, nope. I cannot Social imagine. Charnel is not okay with how that was handled. No, at all. that would have been so traumatizing. Also, um, would have been a red flag to me as an adoption worker for if they're an appropriate adoption placement. Yeah, you would think so. I mean, that's um, huge. You know, I don't know if it has anything to do with the time frame. I will tell you. So around that time frame, I was working in a residential placement, uh, a residential mm-hmm. home. And I witnessed this personally several times where a worker would show up. Like I said, this was probably like 2004, 2005. Yeah. A worker would show up that day and tell a kid like, okay, get your stuff. You're leaving. You're being placed somewhere else. And the kid would flip out because obviously we don't do those things to traumatize children. And it's flipping their whole world upside down. So, I mean, down. I could see, like, these things did happen. Yeah. You know, so I don't know if it's just people didn't understand trauma and that we don't do that, but it did happen. Like, mm. it, that, it, that's what it reminded me of is working in residential and just like, well, you're leaving today. Yeah. You've, you've been here for two years, but you're you're going somewhere else now. Yeah. So get your stuff. Mm-mm. It was horrible. It, it, yeah. That will haunt me forever. Yeah. But anyway, so that's, when I read that, that was like s- strike one. For sure. Like, oh my God, seriously, you're doing this to Big a, a child already yeah. in, in foster care? No. Yeah. Not okay. So after they, you know, took care of the first child they fostered and, and had her place somewhere else, they did go forward, forward with um, adopting their first three younger children. Three all at once? Yes. Yep. There's two. So there were two families they end up adopting from. So there was three from one mother and then there was uh, three from another. Oh, okay. So they got sibling sets. Yes. Sibling sets. And they get the first three, which are Abigail, Hannah, Hannah Jean, and Marcus. Okay. And so they were adopted by the Hearts and they were from Colorado County, Texas. And their placement came on March 4th of 2006. And then they were adopted pretty quickly by September. Oh, wow. So, yeah, rights were terminated and it moved quickly. Yes, yes. And their mother indicated she did sign her rights off because she said Mm. she was trying to make the best decision for her children. That explains the expedited process then. Yep, that one was voluntary, so it, Mm -hmm. it was probably much easier that way. What were their ages at the time? Um, does it say? You know, I didn't mark their ages down. Um, mm-hmm. They were very young, though, because Abigail was born in 2003, Hannah, oh. 2002, and Marcus was, he was a little older. He was 1998, but okay. this was 2006. Yeah. So they're still fairly young. Yeah, under 10. I mean, Marcus is under 10. So between the age of four and 10. Yeah. All of them were. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, oh, gosh, but old enough to remember their mother. I know. Mm, this hurts my soul. I know the whole thing is very painful. I'm not going to lie. So I think strap your boots. I do feel like it's really hard. I know we have a lot of social worker friends that work in the same fields that we do. And so I know it's just hard when you've worked in CPS and adoption and faces come to your mind I that know. you think of. And yep, uh, I still have a, a few of those as well. I didn't yeah. do the work but you, you did, did residential. Yeah. But I did residential and I did um, just the work that I did, like with treatment court. I yeah. got 
you know, I got to see the kids. I mm-hmm. was involved in some way with them yep, and with the family. I have faces I still remember too. As I'm sitting here, like contemplating getting myself a drink before we finish that now. <laughs> and adoption also it can be wonderful. I'm not Absolutely. saying you know, I've seen a a lot of really super happy adoption yeah. ceremonies and so it can be a good thing. But it's just so tragic when it's not. Yep. Okay. So they had the first three for a couple years and then in June of two thousand eight they adopted three additional children whose names were Sierra and forgive me, I think it's Maya. It's M A I J A. Sierra yeah. Ma- Maya. That's um, cool. She was born in 2005. Devante Jordan, he was born in 2002. And Jeremiah was born in 2004. And so they were originating from Houston, Texas. Did you just name four kids? No, the. Um, it was Sierra Maya oh, and Devante okay. Jordan yep, and sorry. Jeremiah. So I, was, I threw their middle names in there. You did. Yeah, I was counting Sierra Maya as two children. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. So so they were from Houston. Okay. And this one was a little different because their biological mother named Sherry Davis, she lost custody because of substance use mm-hmm. issues. And she was not. Wanting to to sign rights off to the children. And basically, so they were originally, the children were given to their aunt, Priscilla, I believe it's Celestine is how you say it. Mm -hmm. And so the children were with their aunt for a while, but then they were, she was basically caught letting the children see their mother without permission. Yeah, and she's not supposed to. And so I watched a, a documentary on this case and the social worker that was involved with the case kind of talked about that how once that what happened, it was like a very fast track to removal, oh. um immediate removal of the kids from they refer from to the her aunt. as Celestine in the in the documentary. Okay. So I think that might be what she went by. Um but it was just a very quick, okay, they're going into foster care, and none of the other family had a chance to get the, the children. I don't know what the backgrounds on those family members were. Right, um, right. So I, you know, I don't know if that was a factor. Well, because but, we've been in in the trenches of this, I think it's probably safe to say that that is probably could was have been a huge an issue. factor. Yeah, but, there's laws that you have to follow. Yeah, if you with can't. the background check. Yeah. And so, but I will say, hearing those family family members talk about not having a chance to get the children, you know, it did hurt it's them. Heartbreaking. They yeah. were very heartbroken that they didn't have a chance. Of course. And the kids, especially went right after into, what happens, you know, they're thinking, "I wouldn't have done that." Yeah. Yeah. And so, even though, in like I said, the social worker in this case felt that it was. Um, not really fair that they didn't give mom a really fair shot of fighting to get the kids back. And then they were just immediately, you know, put into this, this placement. This like a pre, like a pre-adoptive placement is what it sounds like before her rights were even terminated. Yeah. They just moved in like, oh, we're, we're planning on terminating her rights. So they want, you know, to adopt three more kids. Let's place here. It does have that feel. And that's even what the social worker herself Mm -hmm. said is that, you know, with cases in this area that they were dealing with, it's, it's like once you're in the system and they are sat on termination, Mm. that's Uh -uh. it. Hate that. So that, that's really hard. Yeah. You know, and, and so I just wanted to make sure and mention that. Um, the other really tragic part about this is that there was another older brother that they didn't adopt because of behaviors. Um, oh, which broke my heart because we know how that how awful that is when siblings get 
broken right. up. Yes. So the three younger ones get adopted. Older brother who's having behaviors does not. And we know why he's having behaviors. Exactly. Being the oldest, especially. I mean, ah. Uh. So, again, I'm just saying, like, that image of, you know, we're adoption-focused, we're loving, caring. I'm not saying to some degree maybe they were, but, like, there's some really tragic there's, things in this, and too. criteria. We're adoption-focused and we're really loving and caring, but only to for the only, good kids. Yeah, to only these kids. Yep. So when I watched the documentary, there were some friends of the family that talked about how wonderful the the whole group was. You know, uh, one of the friends just said they were like a warm hug, just all oh. of them together and just, you know, very loving. And, and the people that knew them, they adored them. I love me a warm hug. Me too. I could I use mean, one now. Yeah, from the it's right a chilly person. day. Um, I wouldn't be picky at this point. I mean, <laughs> whatever I can get. It, it has been disgusting weather. It That's has. Yes. Very, very cold where we're at. But so I want to make sure that you know also that the people that knew the hearts, they didn't really know the hearts. Okay. Most Did of, anyone really know the hearts? That's kind of what I'm getting at. Like most of the relationships that the Hart family had were people outside of family and they were very temporary relationships. Okay. So like I said, lots of followers on social media that really just, you know, love this image that they were putting out. There's this, you know, these partners that got married and against the odds when marriage was not mm -hmm. legal in all states. And we've adopted these, um, you know, they're African-American children. Beautiful six children. From broken homes and we're, you know, taking on yeah. the world. Yeah. Okay. We're love. We're pure love. I see. And I'm not going to lie. I would be like, that's freaking beautiful. Yeah, yeah. You know, I would I would probably have eaten it up too. but Probably because we've seen it work. Because there are people that do this and they're amazing. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Absolutely. We probably would have. So, I'm, you know, it's what a wonderful image to put out there. But, uh, you know, Facebook followers are not always your friends. What? You know, I know that's hard Damn to it. believe. You're crushing me right now. I thought they all adored me. I, you know, I'm sure they do. Ugh. But like I said, I usually only use social media to make fun of my husband and he makes fun of me. I that's, use it for memes. That's you do. About yeah. It. That's, that's occasionally some And photos. to promote our podcast and shirts and sugar. Yeah. That's but about other it. But than that, it's, it's really just once in a while things my kids did and uh, my husband and I back and forth trying to embarrass one you another. You do. <laughs> yeah. You guys do that quite a bit. And I enjoy it. Anyway, most of the people that they would actually meet mm -hmm. were at festivals or rallies. They were big into like going to you know, peace and love, you know, okay. festivals, concerts, summer concerts and um, like Bernie Sanders rallies and like sure. that kind of stuff. They were all about those things to promote peace and love. And yeah. so they would Equality. take the kids. So a lot of the friends that they had were people that they would meet at festivals. These oh. weren't people that were like coming into their home and spending time with them all the time. You okay. know, we're not sharing meals. We're not sharing meals and we're not, you know, sharing who we truly are. Yeah, really. So Nobody, surface only. Surface only. Not texting each other about how quick the Mexican and margaritas that you drank the night before is trying to make an exit. Gotcha. Yeah. Not yep. like you and I. Am I painting a clear picture here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So everything you see is is perfectly 
curated with this family and there is an appeal to it. There is an appeal to those pictures. Um, I saw a couple of the pictures and one of the neighbors, we'll get to her just in a minute. So one of the neighbors that actually lived by the Hart family talked about these photos of like there's these gorgeous scenes of the kids like in the snow with hot a hot chocolate thermos like oh my gosh you know like playing in the snow and drinking hot chocolate it's so beautiful and she's like those kids were never playing in the snow ever so it was just very very staged like look at us that breaks my heart like we're not just talking about a little front for social media we're talking about like Okay, see, I didn't Over realize that. I thought we were talking about just pictures of them living their lives, but then behind closed doors, they're assholes. You're meaning like they are literally, let's Staging. go out in the snow with this hot cocoa, get your picture, and then now get your ass back inside, kid. That's what I'm saying. Oh, um, no. There's a couple of the kids eating breakfast. Like, there's chickens. They had The family had chickens. And there's, like, chickens on their shoulder. Like, they're eating breakfast with the chickens. Oh, and gosh. Like, giggling. And I'm not going to. I'd be jealous. I'd be like, I want to eat breakfast with chickens and the laugh. The chicken is probably pooping down its back. Just so you know. It, it probably Chickens did. poop every 30 seconds, I swear. <laughs> Grew up on a farm, can confirm, all over your vehicle that's not in a garage. No, uh, we had chickens growing up. We didn't eat breakfast with them. No, ours weren't allowed at the breakfast table either. My, I Unless they were actually the meal. <laughs> they were literally eating Either them. something that came out of their butt in shape of an egg or the actual chicken. That's the only way they were invited to the meal. We had a rooster that would chase me when I got oh, off yes. the bus. Yep, me too. Childhood trauma. Was it white? It was, no, it was um, one of the, like, orangish. The red. Yes. Okay. Yeah, no, mine was a white one. And that that cock would chase me all around. I've been the ch- chased by cocks my whole life, Amber. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, I would be so scared to get off yeah. the bus because I'm like, They're he's going to be waiting for me. Mm-hmm. And he was. Asshole chicken. They really um, can be. They, Roosters yeah. can be assholes. Yeah. Mine became dinner the night it attacked, it attacked me on a bike. And um, I was pretty satisfied. Not gonna lie. <laughs> it had it the last time that he interrupted my bike ride. So yeah, there's another there's video. <laughs> sorry, of... vegetarian listeners. I'm so sorry for who oh, we are. <laughs> also speaking the family claimed to be vegetarian. We'll get to that as well. But they were minute. eating with chicken. Okay, okay. Um but yes, they did claim to have a very healthy vegetarian lifestyle. Mm. There's this video of Devante going up, like, at one of the festivals. Devante was, like, a really emotional, loving child. Um, he really stood out, like, in a crowd. And he goes up to this guy playing, like, at the music festival, and he's, like, hugging him and crying. And and then he runs back and jumps into Jennifer's arms, and they're just like... But this is... So the it's festival friends moment. that they had, that's what they saw. Yeah. They saw this stuff, and... So on on the documentary, they talk about, you know, we saw that the children loved them and that they loved the children. Do you think that the kids were the happiest at the festivals and whatnot because they were being more loving and putting on that show? I think that as we dig into this, I think the kids had absolutely no choice but to put that front on. Okay. That they were happy. Mm -hmm. They loved Jen and Sarah. Like, okay. I think they, they knew better than to act any different. Yes. I think they absolutely had to do that and they knew it. Okay. I, that's what I think. Um, maybe 
you know, when there were people around, there was some relief where they're not getting mistreated. Yeah. So that it could okay. have been a happier time for them. Yeah. Yeah. I hate where we're going. It's it's terrible. I don't like the road you're taking me on. Drop me off. And I will tell you just kind of up front, I think one of the things that I struggled with the most in this case, as you will see, is that these children never fully had a voice in anything that's happened. And so a lot of things I don't think we'll ever know. Right. They were also very young. They were. So I'm going to tell you just a little bit about the kids that were involved in this, just so you kind of know who they who they were. Just so you can further break our so, hearts. Yes, okay, awesome. Put that wrench in. And kick me in the crotch right now, Amber. Twist it, yes. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> I'm ready. Um, but, okay, so I'm going to start with Sierra. And she was more of an outgoing child. She really wanted to be, like, involved with what whatever's going on with the group and, you know, kind of out there playing and, and very active. Mm-hmm. Jeremiah and Abby were referred to as the more quiet, reserved ones. And they looked up to Devante. Like I said, Devante stood out in a crowd, and we're going to talk about him in a, in a minute, he um, had a little bit of 15 minutes of fame for something. Okay. But so Jeremiah and Abby, they were just a little more reserved, but they watched Devante be so outgoing and they kind of were inspired by him. Okay. You know, like, oh, if he can do it, so can we kind of thing. Marcus and Hannah, they were also, they were a little bit more reserved like Sarah who, so just a little bit about Jennifer and Sarah Jennifer is described as the more outgoing one. She's kind of the, c- the controller. The yes. And okay. Sarah is quiet. So she's described as more standoffish. And Jen is like the one leading the pack. Okay. So she's the one involved in everything. And so the the half of the kids were kind of more on Sarah's side of like being reserved. And then there was a couple really outgoing ones of the group. Now, like I said, Devante, he was really sensitive and super emotional. And he was like just this tender hearted child that like he would give hugs and he'd get emotionally worked up about like the music festivals and just like very, very tender hearted. I understand, man. I cry every time the national anthem is played. I know. So I can relate to Devante as well. Yeah. Like commercials get me. Oh, yeah. Um, bunnies, mm-hmm. yes. puppies, like all kinds of soft fuzzy right. things right but so there was this photo butt plugs but, with with fuzzy in, in on a flower it. garden yes yeah with a bunny tail yep. oh my tears the cutest tears flowing the cutest. Um, <laughs> sorry we were getting too sensitive i had to bring us back <laughs> let, let me dry my eyes really quick just thinking about the it. cutest a family plug. of plugs <laughs> frolicking in the forest no uh. Okay, so there was this photo of Devante. It actually went viral. Um, oh. It made it around the world. And it was a photo of him in tears, like crying, and he's hugging a um, white police officer. Now, this was actually, it. the photo was taken in 2014, and they were at this rally in Portland, Oregon, for, it was the, it was the killing of an African-American. Um, his name was Michael Brown. And so there was a rally at that time. I think he was shot by a police officer, okay. I believe. But mm-hmm. there was this, you know, rally going on. And so that's where the photo was taken of Devante. Well, it resurfaced, obviously, just not that long ago with everything that happened sure. with all the rioting mm-hmm. and the, you know, police brutality stuff going on. So that, that photo did kind of come back up. Wow. 
So that's Devante. Yes. Do you remember the photo? I think I do. He's like crying and I'll show you the photo here in a minute, but he's hugging the police officer and he has a sign that says free hugs. Oh, yes. I do remember yeah, this. I remember, I remember it too, actually. Wow. Okay. Oh, gosh. Just spit on my neck. I know. Really? That's him? I'll spit on it and grind it right into the ground. I think you are. God yeah, dang that's it. Deva- that's Devante. Oh. Now, there's several variations of the story behind this photo. Like I said, you know, there's heavy speculation that a lot of these photos were very staged. If you look at them, they look very perfect, very yeah. staged. And so there was some speculation raised that Jennifer Hart possibly, okay. like, this was right. staged as well. Right. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, like, a genuine moment. Um, it was more of something kind of set up for her. Do you think his tears were genuine, though? I Maybe. do. Um, just from what he's described, I I think they possibly were, but I'm not sure what, like, the story was. And possibly the most set up it could be is just her saying, go over there and hug this police officer. It could have been. That's kind of what and I was I mean, thinking of, like, hey, go... Like, go give him a hug right now while you're crying. Right. You know, I don't know. But people started. it sounds like he enjoyed hugging. So He did. He actually, funny you mentioned that. Like, he would do these little campaigns. Now, I don't know how much of this was him or them. Okay. But he would, he always had, like, the free hug signs. And so he would, like, raise money for, by doing that, like, people would donate to him for the the free hugs. And he would, like, donate the money to environmental charities and stuff. Oh, wow. Isn't that adorable? That is. If, so it, he was if, like if the money really kid. went to the charities and not to his parents. Exactly. Exactly. But so when this photo went viral, it got a lot of attention, but it wasn't all positive attention. It was, like I said, people were, like, speculating if it was posed. Right. There was all the controversy with the police and... Supporting them. And so they were starting to get some hate mail and some backlash about the photo. Wow. I personally am like, it's a photo of a kid. For sure. I can't believe there would be hate mail. But yeah, they started to get some some really harsh critics about the photo and people started harassing them about the photo. And so the... Some of the festival friends that kind of knew them feel like this was a turn for the family because they started to become even more withdrawn after the... You know, okay. the criticism the and the backlash from this photo. So a little bit about what we kind of know was going on behind these photos. You know, as we know, they, they all looked so wonderful as a family. However, there were some things that happened. I'm going to take you to about 2011. There were several complaints filed with the Minnesota CPS. Um, one thing I, I had said earlier about the family they like to move around. Mm-hmm. So they ended up oh. in Woodland. Like I said, we end up in Woodland, uh, yeah. Washington. But the the family hopped around quite a bit is before this, that. Is this CPS hopping? Are we hopping to keep social services Absolutely off our trail? Absolutely what I think. Familiar with that. Okay. Yeah. So there were complaints made and Sarah was actually uh, arrested in 2011 and placed on probation. Wow. There was allegations of physical abuse and withholding food from the children. Oh. Um, it sounds like she got a, a slap on the wrist for it. She had like a short pro- probation period and that was that. Probably because they didn't have a history log to pin her on to. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I will tell you that 
multiple people noticed that the children looked very small and underfed for their ages. Um, and did they blame this on the vegetarian diet? I, I honestly do think that they did, probably. But <sighs> there are pictures of the children where they do look very thin. And so that was noticed by multiple people and called in as well, is that they looked underfed. Yeah. Um, so two years after that, the original charge on Sarah, which I will tell you also, people suspect that Sarah was covering for Jen. Okay. Um, Jen. Because she was, Sarah was the docile one, right? She was. Okay. And Jennifer was the, definitely the power and control of this mm-hmm. family. She called the shots. She was the leader. And so be, Sarah being more of this passive person, there's speculation that she took the fall for Jennifer mm-hmm. and took the charges for her. Not that you can't be an asshole when you're passive, too, but... Oh, yeah. Uh, I get it. Yeah, yep. the worst was probably done and orchestrated by Jennifer and just yes. put on the shoulders of Sarah. Uh, we'll get to some of the things that Devante shares here in a minute, but kind of surrounding that Jennifer was the one that started this and Sarah... Um, my my understanding is that Sarah wasn't fully on board with the treatment of the children, and then she eventually just kind of went with it. Mm, we so we say that in cases so many times with parental mutual parental abuse cases. Yeah, just yeah. go along with it, let it happen. That's called failure to protect. Exactly, you're just as guilty. We saw it yep. with the Layla Daniel case as huh. well. I removed plenty of children on that grounds. No, we can't place with dad. No, we can't place with mom because they failed to protect the children that were being abused by the other parent in the home. Yeah. So it sounds like she just kind of eventually like conformed to the treatment and mm-hmm. um and failed to and protect went with it. Yeah. yeah. So about two years after that original charge that Sarah had, you know, either she took or actually received, mm-hmm. there was another CPS uh, complaint, and this was one that happened in Oregon when they were living there. Um, At the time, one of the people that had called in said that they had taken notes. So this person maybe got close enough to see. This is a quote. It says, the kids pose and they're made to look like one big happy family. But as soon as the photo event is over, they go back to looking lifeless. Mm. And so it was also noted that they appeared to be very trained and robotic. Yes, uh, ma'am. No, ma'am. No uh, acting up, nothing. They did exactly what they were told to do. And that comes up several times, too. If, like, they were basically robots and did whatever Jen especially said. Sure, probably. A fear response. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so they're conditioned. So um, now when these the investigations took place, there was nothing ever substantiated, really, but like I said, they moved around, so when one allegation would come up, they would skip town. Mm-hmm. They would go somewhere else. So that they're never building a history someplace. Exactly. that's what it takes. Um, for most states, child protection law is that the state has to show where they made reasonable efforts to preserve the family unit. And so when you don't have a long history to go on, you have to offer services first and like you said, basically slap on the wrist. But when someone has a long history, you can use that to show the court, hey, the state has made reasonable efforts here to preserve the family unit. It's not working. Removal is needed. Yeah. So now, Ugh, man, this is irking me. I'm it irked. Is. 
I am really hard. So when the allegations would come in, they they were investigated. The ones in two there was more in 2013, and there was never enough evidence for any follow through. The investigator would speak to the children, and one of them noted in the 2013 investigations that the children showed very little emotion or animation. They were they were described as robotic several times. Okay. So very like rehearsed answers. Their stories all matched up, but they were very mm-hmm. like robotic and rehearsed. That was noted, but there was nothing ever like further done. Red flag, red flag, red flag. Such a red flag. It's a super hard thing to prove too. But I, I mean, will honestly. say like when you see pictures of the homes, I mean they had a nice home. Yeah. And they, you know, they both appear. They're both very attractive women. Yeah. The kids in the pictures looked great. They do yeah. look skinny, but they That's, looked. This is the problem with stereotypes. Like, not everyone that needs their children removed look like dirt balls. No, it's very you know? true. And, I mean, honestly, like, my child's really skinny and always has been. And so, I mean, that's not always he a. He does have a hell of a metabolism. He does. Mm-hmm. So, it's just, I mean, you Girl, just don't know. preaching to the choir. You should, I, I hate to tell you what I ate today. I don't want to know. I, you don't. if you told me, I'm going to gain five <laughs> pounds just hearing it. Right. I mean, some people just are, you know, naturally thinner, and it yes. does not mean that my parents fed me very well on the farm. Don't so, worry. So, you know, not faulting the, the workers. I'm sure they did what they could, yeah. but you can't yeah. always find what you need to find. For sure. There has to be evidence, and it can be really difficult, especially when children are trained to give you the right answers. Yeah. Because you now, can't just go to a judge and be like, I think the kids are brainwashed. Right. They're going to be like, okay, where's the evidence? Yep. Give me the facts, yep. the substantial. You know yes. yes. The So the family moved around, like I said, quite a bit. We would get some allegations going on. People would start calling in. Um, the, this is right during the recession, too. So, like, how are they selling their houses? Oh, we'll get to that. Oh, okay. They, they definitely didn't. They lived way beyond their means. Oh, all um, right. That was later discovered. Like, they were not making enough to live the way they lived. Okay. That, um, probably that was also a facade. All right. So, but some of the schools had called. There was, I think, uh, I believe it was Abigail. There was noti- noticeable bruising on her, and the school called it in. And so then at that point, they decided to homeschool the children. So then they're taken out of public school eye at all. Um, you know, so uh, it, we're just. Yeah, that happens a lot, too. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We're not going to take them to counseling. We're not going to take them to school. We're not going to take. They can't participate in sports. They can't do anything where someone might see them and make a complaint about and, us. Yes. And once somebody starts to see who we really are, we're. We're out. Yeah. What about the doctor? Probably didn't go to the doctor. Um, I didn't see a lot of anything about doctor's visits, so I'm not really sure how how often or what happened there. But I'm sure they weren't getting their yearly well childs. Probably not. So by May of 2017, that is when the family had um, moved to Woodland, Washington. Mm -hmm. Like I said, we've got a couple moves in there. Yeah. All around. Between the Different areas. And so this is where I'm going to share with you the nearby neighbor that lived by this house in Washington. Um, she spoke about her experience with the children in okay. this documentary that I watched. And it was very heartbreaking to hear her talk about it. She said that in that area in Woodland, it was common to see kids out pl- out playing. You know, that was very normal. They were used to seeing kids around the area. 
in their backyards or running through neighbor's yards. Mm -hmm. But these six kids were never outside. She said, you never saw them. Ever. Six children. Six young children. Yeah. And they never saw a glimpse of them ever. And that's where that's terrifying. The um that picture with the snow yeah. came in of like those kids were never playing outside mm-hmm. in the snow. They were not out there, you know, which just shows how staged their lives were. Um It's terrifying. Also just just how how much they thought this through, like to plan. I just don't, I don't understand this. Why are you staging these pictures to put out this facade? Why can't you just be a happy family? I know. Why'd you have to be an abusive piece of shit? Obviously, whatever was going on in their true lives, they really just wanted that fake image. And but I mean, if you're gonna adopt the kids, what then? Why adopt kids if this isn't what you really wanted? Well, because. Apparently, they provided some income for them as well. Oh. That's that's another part of this. Oh, I understand. So, See, I never really went there because the state of, it's not like in the state of Michigan they get much money. Right. So I, my mind just didn't go there because it's you spend way more on appropriately taking care of children <laughs> than yeah. you do on what the state will give you for adopting them. Yeah, if you're appropriately even take you know yes. taking care of them right but no the neighbor she recalls that the blinds they were always drawn closed you you know never saw anybody looking out a window you never saw anybody playing outside creepy which they said huge red flag yeah sarah was the one that would go work jennifer stayed at home with the kids um she was like a stay-at-home mom and sarah would go find work wherever okay. they went why does that not surprise me and <laughs> you yeah. go work and pay you the will bills. go work uh-huh yes now, Sarah was, like I said, she was more quiet and reserved. And coworkers in um, Washington, she was the assistant manager at a Coles. Hmm. They said she never talked about the kids ever. That hmm. they knew she had six kids, um, just from her maybe briefly mentioning it, but she never talked about like some of the coworkers would share stories about their own kids. And one of them talked about like, you know, I have a son and I would constantly be sharing stuff about the you know what he did and yeah um sarah never said anything about the kids and i mean if you're a mom of six kids they consume your life that's really all you do that's have to talk literally about your enti- that would be like, your entire life and so she was never sharing anything about them um pictures nothing about her personal life ever mm. so that was also noted as odd yeah another co-worker had mentioned now i don't know if sarah maybe confided a little bit but this was just in an article that i read she did kind of hint one time at like, is it wrong that you discover maybe that you didn't want a big family? So almost oh. hinting toward that she unhappiness didn't, with that. Yeah, Regret. she wasn't happy. Okay, and so that's the most that I could see that Sarah ever really shared. But mm-hmm. other than that, she didn't talk about her family ever. I mean, don't get me wrong. Now that all mine are teenagers, there are times when I'm like, God, you guys were cute when you were little. Why did I, that's, that's what got me. That's why I kept having you. Yeah. So you were cute oh, when you were they're little. they're adorable. Now you're mouthy little assholes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they're actually really, <laughs> you, you know, kids. they're pretty good. Yeah. But there are moments where I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we all have those moments. Yes. yes. The trouble with the facade, as you know, you can only keep it up so long. True. And so Dana, yeah. Dana is the neighbor that we're talking about. Her name's Dana DeKalb. Um, there was a really concerning incident that happened, which led them to making a call as well. 
um, into CPS. And this was actually from Dana's father. He made the first call after there was a very alarming incident that happened. And Dana and her husband were home. It was in the middle of the night. And all of a sudden, Hannah Hart is at their door. She had jumped out of the second story window of the Hart home. And she ran over to the the decaled home. Now, they were pretty close proximity. Mm -hmm. Um, There was, like, some trees that divided the houses. But Hannah ran over there, and she was pounding on the door, screaming, begging for help. They... The uh, dad, Dana's husband, opened the door mm-hmm. to her, and she ran in, and she was begging for help. She was covered, and apparently she ran through, like, a patch of blackberries. Oh, gosh. To get So can you imagine? Oh, in the middle like, of the night. Scraped, and she was covered in, like, berries. Right, and, berry juice. and just looks like something out of a horror film, yes, I'm sure. And, but this put, captures, like, how desperate for help right. she was. And she was begging. She was asking them to help. Now, Dana noticed that she was missing her two front teeth, and she had bruises, and Hannah was begging them to please call for help. She said that they were being starved, they were being abused, that their moms were racist, and that (gasps) they were beating them with belts. And so she's just letting all of of this stuff out to the neighbors and terrified. She's absolutely terrified. A few minutes later, after Hannah went into the home, Jennifer and Sarah and some of the other kids were outside. They had their flashlights and they were looking for Hannah and they were calling her. Now, the the this happened so fast for the decals. They didn't know what to do, what to make of all of this. I mean, right. they were probably sleeping. Yeah, yeah. And so um Bruce decalb he was like he yelled to the family, "She's over here." He probably didn't in Without that moment, no, what to yeah. do. So Dana remembers that as soon as Jennifer and Sarah heard that, they came right over and literally like barged into their house. They didn't ask. They came storming in looking for Hannah. And Hannah at that point, she had ran over to Dana and she was like in their bedroom huddled by the dresser, like shaking. Oh my terrified. God. Oh, my God. No, you call the police and tell the police to sort this out. Yes. So Hannah was trembling and panicking. And Jennifer, she took Sarah because at one point, like, Sarah was, like, making a beeline right over to go grab Hannah. And Hannah was so scared that Dana's like, oh, hold on a second. Okay, good. Like, yeah. back off. Yeah. Yep. You're in my you're home. Fre- yeah. She was like, you're freaking me out at this point. Like, you need to back up yeah. for a second. Yeah. So at that point... Jennifer took Sarah by the shoulder. She's like, why don't you take the kids back? I will handle this. Like, oh my God. she's got it. Yeah. So Sarah did that. Sarah went, took the other kids back home and let Jennifer handle the situation. Let Jennifer manipulate the situation. Exactly. So it was witnessed by Dana that at that point, Jennifer told Hannah that she just needed to tell these people sorry, that, you know, it's just been a really long week and you've been really sad this week and you need to just tell them you know sorry for acting this way because you've had a long you know basically coaching her into what to Uh to say to the decal family to get us out of here dana said that hannah answered very promptly yes ma'am total robot at that point she completely had to put the robot mode on for jennifer like i said They probably didn't know, so I'm not faulting them for anything. Like, they didn't know what to do in the moment, so they let Hannah go back home with the hearts. And um, the next morning, 
Dana's dad made that CPS call and you can just hear the concern in his voice. He's just like, I just don't know what's happening over there. And I just can't, you know, live with myself if I don't report it. Like he's, you can just tell the, like the concern for these kids in his voice in the call. Now the next morning around 630 AM sharp, the kids all came back to the decal home to apologize. And it was noted they were standing very rigidly and they were looking at attention like they were terrified and they all made an apology to the decals about what had happened that night. And Jennifer was with them. Like, she walked them over to apologize to the decals oh, sure. about what had happened. And she also explained to Dana that the children were drug babies. Oh, which, my God. Yes. This reminds me of the Lay- Layla Daniel case. Yep. That, you know, they have behavior issues. They were from, you know, homes with substance use, and so this is part I'm of... I'm the hero. Yeah. This, this is part of it. This is why these things happen. She uh. also made a mention. She made sure to tell them that uh, Hannah had lost her front teeth from being... It was an accident. She had fallen and busted her front teeth out. So she yeah, made sure yeah. to explain that, why Hannah's teeth were gone. So I, I guess I figured she could have lost them because... You know, kids lose teeth. She could have. It was noted as a concern. I don't know if she was a little older. Like, maybe she should have had them. Okay. Or there that, was some still kind of there. Like, they were m- missing part of them. You uh, know what possibly. I mean? Like, the root, the root is still in them. Possibly. still there. You know, not. it was just something that was noted, like, as a concern. But I'm not sure. Mm. I'm not sure why. Yeah. But also odd that. Jennifer made sure to explain that, too. Yeah, so definitely. That even kind of adds to it. So they also had a letter from Hannah that was apologizing for what she did the night Dear before. Lord. And the letter, I should have copied it into here because it is so staged. This is not a letter a child would write. I was going to say that was anyway. completely coaxed and in adult language. Yeah, it said basically she was apologizing for her behaviors that she had a few cats that had recently passed away, and she is working through some of her emotional issues. Oh, dear Lord. Like, it was so yeah. fake, Yeah, this letter. Also, how many apologies do you need to make the this right? kid do? Like, all the kids go over yeah. at 6.30 in the morning. Like, all of it's just so fishy. Yeah. After this had happened, obviously the red flags were popping for the decal family. And what ends up happening a little bit after this incident is Devante. Um, Bruce was outside one day and he saw Devante coming up the driveway. And and when Devante like saw Bruce, he started to kind of run back off. And Bruce was like, you know, come back. What's going on? And so Devante asked if they had any bread. And mm. so... It started out with, like, the basic request of, like, hey, do you have any bread? Aww. And they were like, sure, yeah, like, here here you go. And they didn't really ask a lot of question. Um, but then he started coming back more, and he was, like, asking for more things. He was asking for tortillas. And so Dana would give him, like, a full package of tortillas to take mm. with him. Now, she did explain that she didn't carbs. ask a lot of he questions. He carbs. I know. Me too, bud. I know. He wanted carbs. Aww. Um, she did indicate she wanted to build trust with him. Yeah. So she would just give him the food. Yeah. Without prying. Yeah. She wouldn't ask a lot of questions. Smart. She was just like, you know, here you go. Got this whole pack. And she would give him 
the food, but he kept coming back. Like he started coming back more frequently. At first it was just like here and there and it was just for, you know, basic things. And then he started to ask for more and more things like I need perishable items. I need like canned goods and I need six of things for siblings. I know. I'm not going to lie. I was a crying like a baby. Oh, I bet. I, I feel like I'm this. about to. I can't. I the the hunger thing. It, yes. I don't know why it, that one. Really and him gets just me. like trying to look out for his siblings. Yes. And yeah. Getting stuff for them. Physically abused kids and hell, it's all bad. I mean, it's all bad. All the forms of abuse, but yeah. hunger and that stuff just really. It yeah. It's those hard. Those are just basic human things. So as he came back, like I said, he was asking for canned goods, things that wouldn't spoil. And then he was acting, asking for extra things like peanut butter and, you know, just it, it was getting to be more and more. And so finally Dana did ask, like, what, you know, you're kind of kind of scaring me. What's going on? You asking for more and more. And so what Devante responded to her was, in his very, like, sweet, minimizing way, he said, well, you know, we're teenagers, and sometimes we do bad things, and sometimes we get punished for those things, and one of the punishments is that we don't get meals, uh-huh. and so she, and he indicated, like, at first it was, like, a meal here and there, but now the punishments are becoming days at a time, and so we're not getting any food, mm. so this is why it became more and more of them of Devante coming to get more food because they were at at one point not feeding them at all oh my god so this poor kid is going over you know trying to get meals for his siblings and Mm -mm. like I said it started as like oh you're not getting which let don't get me wrong like it's inappropriate at any freaking time to use that as a punishment like you're not eating tonight because you did something wrong that you know, I mean, they probably didn't even do anything wrong. Right. Is the thing. Right. And so then it was just getting longer and longer that they were withholding food from these poor children. No. No. So at that point, Devante did open up a little bit more to Dana. And he did admit that he they were getting abused and they were getting severely starved in the home. Devante said by some, something about his two mom or his mom is withholding food. And so Dana was like, well, you have two moms. So yeah, you know which, what, him, he, which one, yeah. what do you, you know, who are you talking about? And that is when he did indicate that Jennifer was the one that started abusing them and that Sarah at first didn't really go along with it, but then eventually she just kind of gave in and started doing it too. You know what? I hope in hell Jennifer's punishment is that she has to eat like Hitler's toenails every day. Yeah, I do too. Yep, or like give him Brazilian waxes repetitively, just over and over. After scrotum to asshole, like it regrows for like six months. Yes, yep. Like we're talking a full seventies fluff going on there, just over and over again. That yeah. would be a good punishment for Hitler and a good punishment for Jennifer. Yep. It would. Okay. I'm going to take you to the uh, day of March 23rd, and then I'm going to kind of, I'm going to leave you there so we can pick up okay. on part two. So Devante, he came back that morning of March 23rd, 2018, and he asked Dana if she had been to the store yet. And she said, no, I haven't gone yet. You know why? And he acted very, very urgent. He said, I need you to go right away. 
Like you need to go now. Oh my God. And so that was, that was it for Dana. And she told him right then she's like, you know, I can't do this anymore. I I have to call CPS. Yeah. And so she did, she called CPS and that is where I'm going to leave you. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Amber. I'm going to do you dirty again. You're so diabolical. That is two cases in a row. You've done us dirty. I know, but that is a good place to if you, leave sure. you all right give you a break from the heart family at least it's a thursday case so they only have to wait a couple of days yes. unless they're a patreon well a then few they days can hop I right guess. over patreons hop over to the finish this case yeah Ugh. so we'll give you a brain bath though i'm not gonna leave you a, you know totally like okay. a one night stand and just all right you'll give us a, your our, your phone yeah. number <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna give all you, right i'll give you a little bit thanks not going to leave you cold and alone crying, okay. wondering where I went. <laughs> so so this is just a cute little kind of like funny slash kind story that I'm going to leave you with. Okay. So this the title of this, it says, A police officer completed a DoorDash order after arresting the delivery driver. <laughs> so this took place in um, South Dakota. And it says, An official escort for her lunch was not... What Anastasia Alzinger ordered from DoorDash last week, but that's what she opened her door to find. The officer said, I know I'm not what you were expecting to the the person. He had had her food (laughs) and he said, your driver got arrested for some things he had to take care of. So I figured I'd complete the DoorDash for you. Isn't that so cute? He didn't have to do that. She could have just been left high and dry without her Chinese. Yeah. It says Elsinger, a graduate student at South Dakota State University, had ordered a wrap, curly fries, turnovers and a drink from Arby's as she was studying and she didn't feel like cooking. Yes. Need her some Arby's (laughs) fries. Curl, I love me some curly me fries. Too. It says when her delivery app showed that the driver had stopped a couple blocks away, she went outside to see if her food was going to the wrong house. <laughs> and that's when she saw, saw the police had pulled the vehicle over. She said, she said I, great, my turnover is being arrested. I need my curlies. <laughs> she, said, she said, I was like, oh, shoot, that stinks. My food will be a little bit late. But... To uh, to her surprise, and cold. The yes, my curly fries. Those are curly be fries stale. really do not stay warm long, so they're already cold by now. Yeah. By the time it took them to get through the arrest, she's yeah. gonna have to reheat them. Fries have a very short, they do. Uh, fresh life. They do. Uh, when I worked at Wendy's, we could only keep them up for five minutes. Yeah, because they they be getting stale fast. They do. They do. But can confirm it's five minutes from my house to Wendy's by the yeah. time I get home. That's why I got to eat them in the bag on the way. <laughs> that's yeah, that's exactly why you have to. So it says Elzinger assumed the driver would uh, make the del- delivery once the traffic stop was over. Instead, she got Officer Sam Buer. She immediately thought something was wrong until Eisinger noticed that the officer was holding two bags and a drink. <laughs> Laughing, Elzinger said that Buer, who chuckled as he um, returned to his vehicle after he made the delivery. Aww. I thought that was adorable. That is very sweet. He didn't have to do he that. He did not have to do that. He, you know, could have just been like, well, sorry. Right, and left it in his car. Yeah, but he finished the delivery, which was super oh sweet of him. I bet he gets DoorDash once in a while, too, so he can recognize how important that job I, is. Yeah, I appreciate that he did that. He followed through. Me so, too. See, there's good humans. There are For people. all the shitty humans we talk about on this podcast, there are good people, That's too. That's why I picked one. I was like, a little kindness. A little uplifting. We need some kindness yep. after this one. I like it. I like it. 
All right. Well, guys, follow us on social media. If you're a Patreon, jump on over. You get the next part immediately. Crime Curious at Patreon.com. If you're interested to join Patreon, no pressure. Uh, although we do have lots of fun. And um, what else? Hey, email case suggestions. Crime Curious at Yahoo.com. And Thank you to everyone who has recently emailed us or messaged us really kind words with their case suggestions. Um, We have received some, our very first piece of fan mail. We've received keychains. Beautiful. Look at our Facebook post. Several keychains. Yeah, we're going to make a post because we appreciate it so much. And just the support. Yes. Yes. So, hey, shout out to Harry for the beautiful personalized keychains he made us. Thank you so much. Allie for the wonderful stickers and card that you sent. And Andrea. The cats with the tea. So precious. I love it. So precious. You have no idea how much that, like, makes our day and reminds us why we do this. So. Thanks for letting us be us live rent free in your ear holes. We appreciate it. We really, really do. And hopefully, we'll uh, we'll jump in your ear holes Sunday morning with the part two of this we case will. too. So we'll we'll talk to you guys then. All right. Bye bye.